Uh, you know, Jesus actually talked more about money than he did just about any other topic. The only topic he spent more time on was what he called the kingdom of God. That was it. Uh, it's, great, uh, <laughs> uh, it's great that he tackles such a, an area that it impacts just about every area of our life. In fact, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses have to do with money. More than half of his parables address this issue of money and money management. So, so this, this is important. Why did he do it so much? Because it's such a core area of our lives. Um, as someone once said, money can't buy happiness, but poverty can't buy anything. <laughs> or I, I like this one. I have enough money to live comfortably for the rest of my life if I die by next Tuesday. It's true, uh, money can dominate our lives. It can be either for good or for bad. Uh, we can use money for good things. We can use money for bad things. And we spend so much of our time thinking about it, working for it, studying it, spending it, investing it, doing all these different things. And if we don't learn to manage money, what happens? Money seems to have a habit of managing us. And so this morning we're going to look at this, uh, probably the most misunderstood story of Jesus we find it in Luke chapter 16, and honestly, it's a doozy. Uh, I've never preached on it before for good reason. It's a tough passage. But why don't you turn there if you have your Bibles, and our ushers are willing to put a Bible in your hand. Just raise your hand, and they'll get a Bible to you. It's in Luke 16. And, and the reason this can be such a confusing passage is because it appears Jesus is approving dishonesty. He's really not, but he's kind of using a, a clever crook as the hero of the story to, to kind of get our attention. Let me uh, read the story, and then I'll make a couple of comments on it, and then we'll see what it means for us. So Luke 16, verses 1 to 15, here's the story. It's called the parable of the dishonest or shrewd manager. Beginning verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man who was accused of wasting his possessions so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 150. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Now, isn't that a strange story for Jesus to be saying? Jesus, thankfully, goes on in the next few verses to kind of get in on the meaning of this text. And so from verse 9, he read, it reads, I tell you, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is honest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just 
Let's pray for a moment. God, uh, into this uh, challenging area and this difficult topic and this difficult story, we pray, bring it this morning, God. Bring, bring your truth into our lives. Shine a light on us because, uh, Lord, in spite of what we, we might sometimes believe, uh, we believe you have better ideas in store than we have for ourselves. So we want to we wanna, uh, align ourselves with you this morning. And so I pray, would you realign us? And, and especially in this area, uh, this challenging area, would you speak your truth to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this may be one of the most shocking, disturbing, under, uh, misunderstood stories Jesus ever told. So let me start by pointing out a couple things. First, I don't think Jesus is praising this guy's dishonesty. Uh, largely because that would be entirely out of Jesus's character. <laughs> That's, I don't think that was what he's getting at. What he is praising here is, is shrewdness. And we'll get back to that in a minute, but he's not praising this guy's dishonesty. Secondly, this, this passage reminds us that we can learn from anybody. If, if we're teachable, if we're humble, if, if, if we know the right questions. This guy, even though he's dishonest, we, we don't want to learn that part from him. This is this is not a story, by the way, that, that is encouraging you to go to work tomorrow and rob for your boss, you know, to start embezzling funds from your uh, employer. That's not a good idea, and Jesus didn't say that. But this guy in the story, he does do some things right, and which we can learn with regards to dealing with our money. Uh, another thing I want you to, to point out this morning is, is kind of two reasons that Jesus tells this story. Just first of all, we ask, who is Jesus telling this story to? Uh, verse 1 tells us he's talking to the disciples, but verse 14, uh, we're told that the Pharisees were there and they were listening in. We know they were listening to the whole thing. Listen to wh what verse 14 says and verse 15. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. As, uh, as you read the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees get some negative press. You know, uh, here, this passage doesn't help their reputation at all in my mind, right? They're sneering at Jesus. Who sneers at Jesus? Right? They, they were really religious. Uh, they had this, this great God worldview, but they often missed the point. They'd follow the law, but what they would forget was they'd forget love. And so Jesus liked to, I think, poke a bit at the Pharisees. And Jesus, I think he just seems to have this amazing ability to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> By the way, he still does that today. I mean, if you're in pain this morning, if you're in any kind of pain this morning, Jesus wants to bring you his comfort. But if you're comfortable... I'd suggest that maybe God might want to, Jesus might want to just shake you out of that comfort. If you're cruising, if you're, you're coasting through life, God, God knows we need to change, and he, and he won't settle for us being comfortable with our lives, with the status quo. And Jesus knew the Pharisees loved money. The message version calls them here a money-obsessed bunch. <laughs> and so I think he's trying to get their attention with this audacious story where the crook is the hero and he gets very pointed with this line he says god knows your hearts what people value highly is detestable in god's sight and what god is saying there is that the price tags have kind of been switched in some ways right 
That last phrase really is one of the reasons why we're looking at what we're looking today. God says the things that we tend to think matter most don't really matter at all. Sometimes we major on the minors too, don't we? Things like comfort, uh, things like material things, things like power. We tend to think that the things that matter most are things like having the good looks or being popular. And we get caught up in these things called status and and salary and, and, and money. And God says those things really don't don't matter so much. They aren't the most important things in life. That's why we've been looking at that verse in Romans 12 where it says that we need uh, not to conform our lives to the pattern of this world. We need to have renewed minds. And and really, when it comes to money, really, money and and how it works in our world is a pattern that's very different than God's. In, In fact, most or much of what we learn about money is opposite from what God wants and what God teaches. And so we're going to look at that this morning. The second reason I think Jesus tells this story is that, honestly, folks, most of us struggle with managing money. I'd say most of us. He kind of hints at that in verse 8. He says, the master committed the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What I think he's getting at there is that poor money management is an equal opportunity sport. <laughs> just, just, I mean, it's a level playing field here. Just because you are a, a Christian or a Christ follower does not automatically mean that you are financially charmed. What a bummer, huh? Many of us really, really struggle with our finances. Lots of people struggle. Lots of followers of Jesus I know have struggled to stay out of debt and, and to live within their means. To learn what it means to, to live simply, to not be wasteful, to, to learn how to store up for rainy, rainy days. Many of us don't have financial margin. One mishap and, and we're in trouble. Many, many str- Christians who, who have lots still struggle with practicing generosity. And so this message, by the way, it's not a message on giving. It's really a message on learning how to manage our money well and, and how to think about money the way God does. Because money... Let's, let's face it, isn't it one of the greatest sources of worry in our lives? I mean, isn't, I mean we're, we're told that statistically it's the, the number one cause of arguments in marriage. It's the number one cause of divorce. Someone once said it's till debt do us part, right? It really matters how we address this. Let me also say, I know that some of us feel like a real failure in this area. Some of us have made terrible mistakes, <laughs> And we look back and we just, we, we even talking about it, it's, it's, it's difficult. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. By the way, that's normal. I read a, st- a study this week that, that said that uh, talking about money is the most uncomfortable topic we can talk about, even more than Hillary and, and, or Trump. We can talk about, you know, those. In fact, death rates higher. We're more willing to talk about death than we are about money. So you may feel this real temptation to just avoid this this topic, but can I remind you, Jesus isn't wanting to guilt us out about our our finances or about any area of our lives. What Jesus wants to bring is his life and his freedom and his joy into these places too. In fact, when it comes to the lesson of this text, Jesus wants you to be something else. He wants you to be shrewd. Again, in the story, Jesus doesn't praise the guy's dishonesty, but he does praise the guy's shrewdness. What is shrewdness? To, to be shrewd means you're smart, you're, you're sharp, you're, you're strategic, you're resourceful. When, when you're, when you're uh, 
shrewd, you see the problem clearly, and you kind of figure out what to do, and then you, you, you go ahead and do it. And, and what God wants us to do is God wants us to learn how to be biblically shrewd with our money. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to look at four things that, that God says about money. We're going to look at them from this text. And if we learn to act and live on these, the stress level in our life is going to go down, and I would suggest that the joy and the satisfaction and all those good things are going to go up in our life. So first thing, we need to remember it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. This is a major theological truth. The whole universe belongs to God. The, the sun and the moon and the stars belong to God. And the rocks and the hills and the trees belong to God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Which means it doesn't belong to us, right? <laughs> what we have is really, I would say, just on loan to us. We didn't own it before we were born. We won't own it before we're, we're dead and gone. God just loans it to us for about 80 years or, or so. Get this. It was loaned to somebody else before you were born, and it will be loaned to somebody else after you die. You and I just get to use it while we're here. Uh, Jesus points to this truth in the parable. In the story, the owner has this business and the man is tasked with managing the master's business, the, the owner's resources. And the implication for all of us is that you and I are in management. You might not have seen yourself that way, but you are, according to God, a, a manager. You're a manager. Uh, God's put some things in our lives under our control, under our management. They're on loan to us, and God is kind of looking to see what we're going to do with them. And what happens when we really get this, if we really get this idea that, and look at everything in our life this way, that, that it's not ours, but that it's God's, if we really get this, our worry goes away. Let me explain. Say after the service, uh, you get in, in your car, but you've gotten really clear about this idea, and you're, you're like, this is not my car, it's God's car. And uh, you drive home, and you go, this is, this is God's house, it's not my house. And you have dinner on, on some dishes, and you're going like, this is God's dish. Probably you've never thought of your dish as God's dish before. <laughs> and, and then you get into bed and you go, this is, this is not my bed, this is, this is God's bed. He, he loaned it to me. He gave me the money to buy it. it, it I, I meant to manage it. I meant to take care of it. It's really God's. Everything is really God's. And, and two things happen when we really practice this perspective that everything is God's. Our worry goes down, and I would say our gratitude goes up. You begin to be thankful for the gifts that he's given. For example, uh, say you're, you're driving your car and, and uh, you get in an accident, you get into a fender bender. What, what, what can you do? You can say, God, you've got a dent in your car. <laughs> it's not my car. It, it's, it's your car. It's just on loan. God gave me the money, money to buy it. What do you want to do with your car, God? Fix it? <laughs> what if your kids need braces? You can say, God, your kids need braces. <laughs> or, or if your roof needs fixing, you can say, God, what are you going to do about the roof? Here's the point. If, if I am in, in, in charge, if I'm God, if it's all mine, I've got to pay for it all. So I've got to worry where it's all going to come from. But if I'm really just a, a child of God, I'm, I'm just his child, and, it's, and he's loaned me these things, I'm just a manager of it, and I'm not responsible to pay for it all. I love that. 
And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for his provision. If he's the employer and I'm the employee, we look to him to take care of the benefits packages, don't we? This all leads to the question, kind of pointed actually, is how well are we managing what God has given to us? How well are we taking care of God's property, our, our bodies? Remember, it doesn't belong to us. He, he made us. How well are we taking care of our body? How, how well are we taking care of our time or our, our relationships, our, our, our minds, our talents? How well are we taking care of our talents? What are we doing with, with whatever God has given us? It's, it all belongs to God, and we're to make the most of what he's given us. That's, that's point one. Second truth to remember is that God uses money to test us. In, in some profound and deep ways, God uses money to test us. We see this in the parable. The master entrusted, uh, is entrusted with the owner's resources, and the owner comes back in order to see how he's made out. He's being tested in some very real ways. How are you going to do with what I've given you? We see this in a number of Jesus' parables. I think of the parable of the talents being a very prominent example of that. Um, my two sons are getting tested a lot these days. One is away in college in England, and we had a long conversation with him this, this last week, and and uh, we were looking forward to this conversation because a couple of weeks before, we had asked him in a text, how are you doing with your studies? How did those tests go? And his response was, in, in just his text form, I passed. And I, that wasn't necessarily good news to his mom and I. Like, we're going, he passed. What does that mean? What does it mean he passed? I mean, in fact, in our household, we just, like, passing's never been quite our satisfaction level with our kids in terms of their schooling. He passed, yay! You know, I mean, uh, you'd never want a doctor who just passed. You know, you never want a mechanic who just made it, you know, like, scrape through. You got 50% that your brakes are going to work or not, right? So, so my, we're, we're wondering what this means, and we found out from our son a little bit later that, that actually at their school, 80% is a pass, and we're like, whew, good. I mean, that's, a, that's good news to us, and so he passed. Um, our other son is in high school, and he's got a, a, a hard term. He's taking sciences. He's got a, a chemistry class and a physics class and a math class, pre-calc or something like that. And uh, he, he's doing tests like every week. He's got a, you know, it seems like every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I'm kind of wondering, why do they test him so often in these, this material? Why, do you think? Because you've got to know this material this kind of foundational piece to be able to go to the next step. If you don't get this right in chemistry, you have this blow up here, right? I mean, that's how it works. If, 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 if mathematics, it, it builds on each other, and so they're wanting to know, do you, have you mastered the material in order that you can advance? It actually is just something that reveals where you are at. It shows how you are doing with the material. So why does God test us with money? Well, it really reveals or tests three things. Money shows what I love most. Money shows what I love most. How I spend my money reveals to God and to everyone else what I love most. Whatever or whoever I, I, I love is, is going to be shown it, it most. We'll give most of our time and our money to, right? We do that. Um, it doesn't matter who or what we say we love. If we want to know what we really love, where do you look? I'd say you look at your, your, your credit card bill and you look at your, 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 uh, your calendar. Where are you spending your money? Where are you spending your time? 
because that tells us what, who we love most. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, when I first uh, fell in love with Angel, that tanned girl down there, I couldn't keep money in my pocket. I, I really couldn't. It burned like a hole in my pants. In fact, uh, she, she was telling me this week, she was just, it, it was helpful to remind me of this, but because uh, I, you can lose this the longer you've been married. We've been married 24 years. And, uh, but she was saying, I remember how extravagant you were with me financially when we were first dating. And she said, it meant a lot because I knew you had nothing. Like I was poor when I was in school. And in that, 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 those years at school, I, was, I had next to nothing. And yet she remembers, she remembers uh, with great clarity how I had a Canada savings bond for $1,000 that I, even though I was virtually starving and not doing laundry and barely making it through my last term of school, I held on to this, this, this Canada savings bond so I, that I could buy her an engagement ring and ask her to marry me. And she did. And she, no regrets, right? No regrets. It's been awesome. She loves me. I cannot explain it. How do you spell love? G-I-N. V-E. G-I-V-E. We're going to give to wherever we love. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. In verse 13 of this passage, Jesus goes on to say a very pointed thing. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. It's impossible, Jesus says. He's saying what we do with our money will show what I love most. And we might think we can get away with loving, you know, loving God and loving money. And Jesus says you'll either hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and, and despise the other. So it, it's kind of like almost like money is a way of testing. It's like put your money where your mouth is. Do you really love God or not? And money will show that because it shows what we love most. Secondly, money shows what I really trust most. It shows what I have my faith in. Am I trusting in money for my security? Or am I trusting in God for my security? You know, am I trusting in, in, in money for my happiness? Or am I trusting in, in, in God for my happiness? Am I trusting in, in money to make me feel good about me? Or am I trusting in God to make me feel good about me. Jesus says, he says, if you actually, um, he says, this is a proof of test, uh, of trust. It shows what I trust. It's kind of the acid test of faith. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says this, if you trust in your money, you will fall, but if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. Maybe you're saying this morning, I don't really feel close to God right now, you know, I feel kind of disconnected from him. In fact, I feel pretty distant. My spiritual life is, is kind of stuck. And I, and I don't know what to do, but I'm not growing. I, I've got kind of the spiritual blahs. There's, there's no power in my life. And it might be any number of things. But I would challenge you to check your checkbook. Ask him, am I using my time and am I using my money on? What is it, what, where am I spending those things? Because it shows what I trust and it shows who I love. Third thing it tests, and this is the big one that this story is about, it shows if God can trust me. 
It's the reverse. It doesn't just show if I trust God. It shows if God can trust me because God says, I'm looking to see how well you manage material things in a sense before I entrust you with better things, with, with spiritual things. Can I trust you with more are you, or are you blowing it on the little that I'm giving you so far? Listen to how Jesus explains this in verses 10 to 12. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? These are uh, really challenging words of Jesus, as if the whole passage hasn't been. But do you hear, do you hear Jesus' heart here? I want you to look through the challenge and, and hear what his vision is for your life. And his vision for you is not just that you'd handle worldly wealth well. Not that you'd learn to be a shrewd manager. His vision for you is that you would have true riches. That you would have property of your own. Um, how many of you remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Uh, I, uh, I love that story. Uh, I love the scene in the Johnny Depp version where the boy comes running home and he's just won the golden ticket, the precious golden ticket. You know, there's only five in the entire world, and he's most coveted because of this. And he runs into his home, and he's living in a hovel, literally, in, the, in the, this version. It's like this ramshackle place. His two sets of grandparents are actually sharing a bed, you know, toe-to-toe. You know, one on one end, one on the other end. And, and he's tempted, this, this poor boy is tempted because they have so little. He's like, I could sell this golden ticket for a lot of money. And his grandfather in that moment says what I think is the most profound line in the entire film. He says this, he says, why would you trade your golden ticket for something as common as money? I love that. You see, Jesus wants us not to trade away true riches for something as common as money. You see, Jesus wants to bless you and he wants to bless me beyond our wildest dreams. He wants to fill our lives with such a a depth of, of, of satisfaction and joy and meaning and fulfillment. He, he wants and dreams for you and me to become game changers in the world around us, in our neighborhood. He wants us to, to bring his hope and his healing and his, his transformation to the people we know and the lives that are around us. He, he wants to bless us for eternity, but God says, if I can't trust you with little, with this little bit which, which is on loan to you, why should I give you more? I don't get this entirely, but there seems to be some connection with, with learning to be faithful, what he gives us materially. He's testing us, asking the question, can you handle more? I'd, like, I'd love for you to handle more of the true riches that I would love to pour into your life and pour out to the world. Here's the third, third truth that we find in the story. These are all, all kind of important first because they, they build. First, it all belongs to God. Second, God uses money to test us. And third, money requires a plan. This is part of what it means to be shrewd. Uh, let's look at the dishonest manager. What does, does Jesus say about this guy? What does he like about this guy? Remember, the guy's going to be canned. He's going to be fired. And, and he's desperate in this, in this passage. So he, so he brings in these people to, to the first guy. He says, let's, let's cut your debt 50%. And sh- let's not tell anyone. Let's just do this on the side. Listen, I, I sign my name. And brings in the second guy. And he's like, hey, let's, let's cut your debt by 20. You owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. Let's make it 800 Let's do that. That's fine. And, and now it's obvious that he's being dishonest, but he is doing something right, something that Jesus kind of commends. What did he do? He 
he acted. He acted promptly. He, he kind of looked around. He saw what was going on. He, he took initiative. He, he looked ahead to the future, and he made a plan. Verse 3 says, what am I going to do? And then he comes up with a plan, and he acts promptly on it. He's thinking about the future. And, and many people never look ahead when it comes to their finances. We're, we're living for the moment. We're, we're living for the now, for today. This is what our culture teaches us, by the way. Have it now. Spend it now. Use it now. Forget about the future. And what, what's happened as a result of that? Uh, debt rates have soared. Uh, I mean, uh, personal debt rates are at an all-time high in Canada. And then on top of that, we find that saving rates have, have been tumbling downward. We save less and less of our money. That's, that's the truth. Uh, according to a 2015 survey by the Canadian Payroll Association, close to half of Canadians would have, uh, have a tough time paying a bill if their paycheck came even a week late. So there's this, this wisdom to preparing for the future, and one of the ways we do that is by making a plan. The Apostle Paul writes about this to the church of Corinth. He's kind of talking about giving, but I think it's, it, it fits. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. Like, being thoughtful about it. Paul's describing, describing being kind of intentional, thoughtful, having a budget. This is how I will spend my money. I read this week about an elderly gentleman who uh, became known for his wisdom and, and his generosity when it came to finances. And he was being interviewed about it, and he was saying how his first memory of money was when he was three years old. And this is way back in the middle of the Great Depression. And his parents told him that they would give him a, a weekly allowance of, of one penny uh, a week for whatever his age was. And so when he was three, he received three pennies a week. Woohoo! Right? And they'd have him take one penny and, and give it to God at church, one penny to save, and then he'd have one penny to throw around with reckless abandon. Woo! But uh, this man grew into a wise and, and generous person, and it all started when he was three. It started with a plan. It's, it's just better to have a plan first and, a, and money second when, than the other way around. Um, my youth pastor introduced me to a plan when I was about 17 or 18, and it kind of stuck, and I found out it's actually a fairly common plan. Even the wealthy barber has some version of this. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's, it's, it's well known. And if you haven't, if you don't have a plan, this is one that I would commend to you. It's a, it's a good plan, I think. But if, if you... <laughs> It's simple. Take the first 10% of whatever God sends your way right off the top and give it to God's work. Just right off the top, 10%. Uh, the first year that Angel and I were married, um, we had a no-nothing job. I had a no-nothing job, excuse me. Um, I made commission, sales position. Turns out I was a bad commission salesperson. Like, we was poor back in that day, those days, weren't we, hon? She was unemployed, so we were getting a, a small check from the government, and, and uh, it's interesting, even on that little nothing that we made, we gave 10% of that nothing and lived on the 90%. And, and somehow, somehow, starting that practice when we first got married uh, kind of centered that for us, and we never deviated from that plan. And, and then on top of that, we, we had heard this, 10-10 part, the, the, the second 10 is actually taking 10% of your income or whatever God sends your way and putting it towards savings. 
uh, setting aside, putting it away for the future and, and for very specific things. Um, and, and, and by the way, it's, it's not like then you have this 80, you're left with this 80%, and I think 80% actually for most of us, we can actually do okay. It can meet, be more than what we need on that 80%. For a lot of us, that's, that's not a problem at all. And, and instead, we, we don't just think that that, that 80% is mine to blow and waste. We just remember it's still God's money. And so we not want to be wasteful about it. We want to use it strategically. And we really want to, to have God lead us with the whole hundred. We want his wisdom on every part of our spending and living when it comes to money. But, but this is the kind of attitude that, that Jesus is commending this in the story. It's not this guy's dishonesty. What he's commending is his, his ability to look ahead and make a plan and act on it. I think that's what he's commending. He's, I'm going to think ahead. I'm going to make a plan. Fourth, one of the best uses of money is to use it to impact eternity. This is the, the problem verse, I think, that many people don't understand. Uh, verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What's he getting at there? So, so we already talked about how Scripture encourages us to make a plan and to look ahead. What Jesus is saying here is that when it comes to our finances, we need to take the really, really long view. Like, not just to our retirement, not, not just till death, but till after death, in, into eternity. That's, that's the kind of view we need to have. He mentions this being welcomed into e- eternal dwellings. He says, just like this dishonest guy made friends that he can count on later when he's in trouble, he says, we need to use some of our money to make spiritual friends, eternal friends, friends that we are going to have forever in eternity, friends who will welcome us when we get there. He's, he's talking about in using some of our money to, to make spiritual friendships, not just investing in wealth, in, in stocks and, and bonds and, and property and stuff, but investing in people. Recognizing that God bless, uh, blesses us materially because he wants us to be a material blessing to those around us, to care for those in our lives. Recognizing that God wants us to do that. As someone once said, uh, use your affluence for good influence. Jesus says, when, when I use my money to help other people meet Jesus, I make friends for eternity and I gain rewards for eternity. Um, I, I don't know entirely what this looks like on a personal level, but let me, let me give you an example from my own life. In the last three or four or five years, I, there has been a shift in my wife and I in our lives in trying to actually spend more time with unchurched people than we do with church people, or at least have it balance out a little bit. Uh, being a pastor, one of my, my the, the, the difficulties or challenges is this can be my world. This can be our world. Hanging out with church people all the time, right? And you guys are awesome for the most part. But actually, Jesus calls us to go into all the world, right? He does. He tells us that. And, and, uh, and we are frustrated by that. And, and, and I kind of fell into it more by accident. And I, I can't even take credit for this, except for I was open when the opportunity came. But I started attending a coffee shop two or three times a week. And I would be working on my sermon and, uh, but I was open to conversations with people, and, and, and I ended up building a friendship with one particular guy, which grew into a table that met, and they, they meet at that particular coffee shop every single day, and I'm there three or four times a week. And I've become friends with these guys, and, and, and just by showing up at this coffee shop, and my wife sometimes goes, 
you're spending a lot of money at Starbucks. And I want to quote this passage back to her from here on in. Yes, I want to gain friends for myself so that when it is gone, I will be welcomed into an eternal dwelling. I'm not so sure about you. <laughs> and and, and this, we have this, uh, so we, we're meeting there on, on the week, and then it's opened up to, to a birthday club. We celebrate everybody's birthday and everybody's spouse's birthday. And, and I mean, it's, it's sent our, our food budget, our entertainment budget out of whack, like, it's, it, there's part of it that's frustrating because it feels sacrificial sometimes. Quite honestly, it, it, I, I'm more comfortable with some of you. I, I have a small group, and I mean, there's intimacy and friendship, and we, we connect with each other. We know where we're coming from. We got the Lord in common, and sometimes I'm in this crowd with people, and I, I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. But I feel like in some senses, God's calling us to do this in accordance with this particular passage. And by God's grace, he's used it to send a couple people to heaven. I, I buried a friend from Starbucks the last year who met Jesus before he died. And it was through a connection of, of me actually just showing up at a Starbucks regularly, week by week, and building a friendship. And now he's in heaven, and I expect my friend John will be there one day to welcome me home. Wouldn't it be great to have that happen in your life, too? To actually just to, to take what you have and, and, and uh, folks... The great temptation is just to cruise in this area and to not be strategic, not be thoughtful. But uh, God has given us all some great resources. He's given us wealth and money. I mean, here in Canada, we are among the wealthiest in the world. Um, let's, let's use it for God and for his glory. Let's, let's uh, be willing to take this part of our life and, and put it in his hands. You know, uh, the other piece of financial advice I'd give you this morning is that, you know what, folks? You're going to die. Let's all say that together, shall we? I'm going to die. Right? Isn't that cheerful? Cheerful thought for a Sunday morning? And, and I've had the privilege of, of being uh, beside the deathbed of, of numerous people, and I've never heard any of them say, I wish I made more money. I wish I had more money in my bank account. What really matters in those moments is, is, is some of the, the, the important issues of who is Jesus to me? Is he my Lord and leader and forgiver? Have I, have I enabled him, allowed him to lead me in this area of finances? Um, I, think, I think folks, all of us, we don't have to wait to, to, to get to our deathbeds to learn this lesson. We can start practicing this now in our lives today. Why don't we pray about this? Uh, worship team, come forward and we'll, let's pray.